0: Welcome to our Ecclesia study where we investigate the claims of the Bible. For many people, one of the main deterrents to accepting the teachings of Jesus is the noticeable disconnect between what Jesus taught and what many self-professed Christians say and do. As we investigate the Bible, we look into how C.I. Schofield and his reference Bible have influenced literally thousands of evangelical pastors and millions of evangelical Christians into fervently believing that the modern state of Israel is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy and should be revered and supported without question in spite of its undemocratic and inhumane treatment of both Christian and Muslim Palestinians for over 60 years of occupation. Our study leader is Mark Horton, president of Ultra Clean Corporation, and a diligent student of the Bible. Our reader is We Hold These Truths' faithful volunteer and dramatist, Leslie Ford. Thanks for joining in our quest. In today's Christ Follower's Bible Study, we're in Acts. We're in the 21st chapter. We'll be starting in verse 27. We'll be talking about Paul's arrest. And let's open with a word of prayer. Leslie, please.
1: Lord, uh, we thank you for this opportunity to learn more about your word, especially about the starting of the church and the spark that started was you. We pray that your spark will be in our hearts and that we pass it on to others. And may your name be glorified. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you very much, Leslie. Good evening, Mark.
2: Good evening. We've been looking at Acts as the systematic restoration of Israel, the recreation of Israel into a spiritual nation from a physical nation, and we've also been seeing that all of the Old Testament promises made through all the prophets from Moses, uh, even going back to uh, Israel himself, that these prophecies are being fulfilled in detail by the specific things that the apostles are are doing and the other other disciples. So we've come to the point where Paul has returned to Jerusalem to observe the feast of Pentecost uh, there and has brought with him a large offering from predominantly Non Judean Christians to assist the Judean Christians who are suffering through famine. And he had, it had been predicted when he stopped off in Asia that he would be bound when he got to Caesarea on the coast of Palestine. Another prophet came down and predicted that he would be bound if he went up to Jerusalem. And he was adamant that he go. Even the bringing of the offering of the nations up to Jerusalem was a fulfillment of one of the prophecies of Isaiah and so we're seeing all of this continuing to unfold uh, we're also seeing which we've pointed out occasionally the parallels between the life of Paul and the acts of Paul and the acts of Christ and his life when he was in his physical body and this last section of Acts really is is all about the trials of Paul. There's three major trials that are recorded. There were three trials of Jesus before his uh, unlawful execution uh, in the Gospels. So Paul is continuing to do things that Christ did when he was in his physical form. He's Christ is now working through human agents who... Collectively form the new body of Christ and are building the new spiritual temple uh, of Christ at the same time. And so we pointed out something that was uh, interesting. It was even more interesting than I expected when we discussed it last week. When Paul got up there to Jerusalem, he went in and met with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and they were concerned because the Judean Christians had the understanding that Paul was telling the Judeans scattered abroad through the empire to forsake the law of Moses and to abandon the practice of circumcising their children. And the leaders told Paul that he needed to go up and help four men complete their Nazarite vows in the temple. And we, we pointed out that Paul made no objection. And Paul was not uh, a cowardly person when he was here in the flesh walking. Uh, we've seen him risk death and anything else. If If he disagreed with what these leaders in Jerusalem said, he would have voiced an objection. At the end of 21, it is extremely important to note that Paul did not object at all, and proceeded exactly as the leaders of the Jerusalem church did for the express purpose of demonstrating to all the Judean people that Paul did keep the law of Moses in its entirety. And we, we got off into a little discussion of exactly what the law of Moses was, which was not my intent, but the, uh, the point is, is that most religious teachers and groups do not understand when the law of Moses ended. And uh, we we tried to point out that we're talking about the, the, the law that God intended, the law that was delivered at Mount Sinai, the law that Jesus corrected when he was in the flesh, not any perverted version of it, which would be irrelevant to our discussion. And most... It came out of our discussion that most denominations in the United States have taught that the ceremonial aspect of the law ended, but the moral part of the law has never ended and is still with us today. Uh, Chuck brought that fact out, and it's very obvious to anyone that ever discusses religion with any of their friends uh, that this is, in fact, the case. The question that I was trying to get answered that didn't get answered is, when do these teachers and churches think that the ceremonial law ended? And the thing that kind of came out of our slightly out-of-control discussion is that no one really knows, no one's really thought about it. And uh, William Bell and myself, who have come through what's called the Restoration Movement, the Churches of Christ, the Christian Churches, They took a different tack. They claimed that there was no distinction between the moral and the ceremonial law and that it all ended uh, at the cross. But we are seeing here and trying to demonstrate that that is certainly not the case because here is Paul and myriads upon myriads, thousands upon thousands of Judean Christians who are faithfully observing the law of Moses and and again i would just personally contend that this is the corrected law of Moses that jesus corrected as much as it could be observed in herod's temple with the slightly corrupted priesthood you know that existed in the first century but that they were doing this and and uh, we just want to note this simple fact that 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 the entire jerusalem church is observing the law faithfully even though it no longer has any connection to their salvation but there is a reason that they are observing every jot and tittle of the law as they understand it to be at this time okay so that's just kind of my wrap up of uh, of our last uh, session and i'll see now if, if i've uh, I'll open it up to see if I've cleared up anything or if I've raised even more questions by this summary.
1: It seems to me that you had emphasized, but maybe I got it wrong, that it was finished at the cross. That's how I understood it, even from you, Mark. I didn't realize until this past uh, lesson that the Law of Moses continues. Even though, you know, we're taught from Sunday school to learn the... Ten commandments, you know, and observe them.
2: Right, right. Well, again, we're trying to use the Bible as our authority instead of human tradition here in these examinations. And so, I guess what I'm suggesting is that every major religious group, certainly amongst what are known as Protestant churches, is either hopelessly confused or just dead wrong uh, about this particular point. And I'm not doing this just as an academic suggestion. We're going to see that it has serious ramifications for understanding you know, God's plan and purpose and the nature of Israel, the nature of the restoration of Israel, which are very important questions for our present day, which so many people grossly misunderstand. This is part of unraveling the confusion dispensationalism, Christian Zionism could never have taken hold if there weren't significant errors and misunderstandings that they could point out, demonstrate and recruit people from, you know, and they've been extremely successful in doing that over the last 100 years uh, at least certainly amongst what are known as evangelicals uh, in the United States but they have people all over all over the world uh, as well so no i'm i'm definitely i'm saying that it could not have passed and we can answer the question which maybe no one's thought of when if, if if in fact the distinction between ceremonial and moral law uh is a legitimate distinction and i'm not convinced that it is but if it were could anyone venture to guess when the ceremonial aspect of the law of moses did end. It's a thought question, but it's really... I mean, you should be able to come to an answer fairly easily.
1: The tearing down of the temple?
2: Exactly. You see, I mean, that's not a difficult thing, because where where were the ceremonies performed?
1: In the temple.
2: (laughs) In the temple. You had to offer these sacrifices. I mean, just to do a Nazarite vow, you had to make an offering... Uh, birds and lambs and all this at the end of the vow. So after the destruction of the temple, how could you do that? It's never been possible to do that. And so this is extremely critical because what actually came about after, and we've mentioned this before, what occurred after the destruction of the temple is the creation of a completely new religion, which we call Rabbinic Judaism. And these were, the, these were the successors of the Pharisees who survived the first and second Roman wars in Palestine uh, in the first and early second century. And they the, the Sadducees were basically wiped out and ceased to exist. There were remnants of the Pharisees who survived, and they basically created a whole new religion. And the Talmud is a collection of these writings. I mean, there are a few sections that may go back before the destruction of the Temple. But basically, most of of the Talmud is their creation of a new religion that they had to make up from scratch after the Temple was destroyed. Because the old religion of the Judean people was based on the Temple in Jerusalem everything was based around it and the not only was the temple destroyed but the priesthood was wiped out their genealogies were destroyed the uh, you know all of the, the things that were necessary the special anointing oil the red heifer all of these things that modern day zionists are trying to recreate were utterly completely destroyed by the romans in the 1st century and so this was clearly the end of what most religious groups call the ceremonial law uh, was the, the end of the temple. And if we notice that all of the Judean Christians are continuing here in the book of Acts to observe this law, then we see that in God's mind there was a purpose for it that extended past the cross up until the destruction of, of the temple. And we have you know Jesus who who specifically told us and I think William quoted this last time Matthew 5:17 through 18. We're going to read I'm going to reread uh, 17 through 19 here. Uh, Jesus saying this is during the Sermon on the Mount, he's speaking to a Judean audience, which is very important to remember even though it's up in Galilee, these are all Judean people. Do not think that I came to annul the law or the prophets. I did not come to annul, but to fulfill. Truly, I tell you, until the heaven and the earth pass away, in no way shall one jot or tittle pass away from the law until all comes to pass. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these commandments the least and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, this one shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven, uh, our Zionist friends would not agree, but I would contend is synonymous with the physically, uh, the transformation of Israel into a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. This is what he's got in mind here, the future form of God's kingdom. Which would be spiritual in nature here, but you see the Judeans that Jesus is speaking to were to continue observing this and teaching others to observe it until all would be fulfilled. And again, most religious groups in this country believe that there's still a lot of things promised in the Bible that are to be fulfilled. I I stopped in an antique store today. It's a man who I knew was a rabid dispensationalist. And, uh, you know, we're making small talk. And, uh, he says, yeah, I think Jesus is coming back really soon or the Lord is coming back real soon. And I said, well, I, I have a whole nother take on things, but I understand why you might think so. <laughs> I didn't say, well, why don't you go ahead and make a prediction to join the the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people who have made false guesses about you know when this is going to come. But anyway, um, you know we have all this future speculation that when Jesus is going to come back to finish everything he didn't do before or to tie up all of his loose ends. But we can simply go to Luke the 21st chapter where Jesus again is speaking and but here by every scholar's admission he is speaking of the imminent destruction of the Judean nation and he's talking about uh, earthquakes and famines and pestilences and they're in a famine you know right now in Acts 21 they're in a famine you understand famines, pestilence, there will be terrors and great signs from heaven but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and shall persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. So what's about to happen to Paul in Acts 21? He's about to be brought up before kings and governors for the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, going back to Luke 21, it shall turn out to you for a testimony Settle in your hearts, therefore, not to think before of what to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your opponents will not be able to withstand or to gainsay. You will be delivered up even by parents and brethren and kinfolk and friends, and some of you they will cause to be put to death. You will be hated of all men for my namesake, and not a hair of your head shall perish. In your patience you shall win your souls. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies then know that her desolation is at hand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them that are in the midst of her depart out, and let not them that are in the country enter therein. For these are days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Let me read that verse again, verse 22. For these are days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Okay, did y'all get that?
1: I heard you.
2: (laughs) Okay, so what did Jesus say back in Matthew 5? Not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law until, and some translations say, all is fulfilled. But the mind says until all comes to pass which means the same thing. Okay, so the law was going to stay until when?
1: Fulfillment.
2: Okay, and in Luke 21, Jesus says, when is the time of fulfillment? Let me read it again. Luke 21, verse 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, know her desolation is at hand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those in the middle of her... Depart out, and let not them that are in the country go back into the city. For these are days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Okay? So, according to Jesus, when would all come to pass?
1: The destruction of the temple.
2: And when did we say that at, that everyone should freely admit that at least the ceremonial part of the law had to have passed when?
1: At the destruction of the temple.
2: Thank you, Leslie. You have all the answers tonight. (laughs) Okay, so does it make any sense here why the thousands and thousands of Judean Christians and Paul and James and Peter are still observing every minor detail of the law? in here in Acts 21.
1: Uh, the the temple hadn't been destroyed yet.
2: Exactly right. And so they understand what Jesus said.
3: So Mark, then what you've got is two classes of Christians. You've got Christians that have to obey the law and Christians that don't. Uh, that sounds like something different from what I've been taught. I, I thought all were one. There is no Jew nor Greek, uh, no male nor female. And furthermore, this entire this this word the law" is what we're dealing with. it's It's a big generality. Tell us what the law is.
2: The law is the law of Moses. Again, it's
3: With ten thousand pieces. Yes, all of it. <laughs> what are you talking about?
2: It was a burden that our fathers were not able to bear. We need to go back to Acts fifteen for just a moment to see, to remember what we've already talked about. Back in Acts 15, the, the first huge non-Judean church came about in Antioch of Syria. Okay? Barnabas was there. He went, when all these Gentiles believed, he went up to Tarsus and grabbed Saul and brought him back down there. And they they were teaching all of these people who were all being baptized. And then it says in the account that certain came up from Jerusalem, some Judean Christians came up there and said, well, it's great that you've brought all of these non-Judeans into the church, but by the way, they all need to be circumcised and they need to observe the law of Moses in its entirety you all remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they sent a delegation from Antioch in Syria back south up to Jerusalem to discuss this question because it was incredibly important question. Chuck has hit, you know, and this is the objection that's raised. Oh, well, then there's two classes of Christians. Or, in fact, some say, well, then there's two gospels which, of course, cannot be. But let's see what the, the Bible says. Let's see what the book of Acts says This, So I'll just read it. Coming down from Judea, certain came teaching the brethren that if you are not circumcised after the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then after not a little dissension and disputation, the church there arranged for Paul and Barnabas and certain others to go up to the apostles and elders at Jerusalem about this question. And... They were sent on their way. They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the nations. They were causing great joy to all the brethren there. And then having come to Jerusalem, they were received by the assembly and the apostles and the elders. They declared also as many things as God had done with them. And there rose up certain from the sect of the Pharisees who had believed And they said it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders gathered together to consider this matter. And after much disputing, Peter rose up and said to the men, brethren, you know from our former days, God among us did make choice through my mouth for the nations to hear the word of the good news and to believe And the heart-knowing God testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit as he did to us. And he made distinction in nothing between us and them, having purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe to be saved according to the manner they also believed. And all the multitude kept silence, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul, declaring as many signs and wonders as God had done among the nations through them. And after they were silent, James answered and said, Men, brethren, listen to me. Simon did declare how at first God did look after to take out of the nations of people for his name and to this agree the words of the prophets as it has been written. And then he's quoting from Amos, uh, old Hebrew prophet Amos. After these things I will return and I will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and its ruins I will build again and I will set it upright, so that the residue of men, or the rest of men, may seek the Lord, and all the nations upon whom my name has been called, says the Lord who is doing all these things. All his works are known to God from eternity. For this reason, I judge, do not trouble those from the nations who are turning to God, but write to them to abstain from the pollutions of idols and sexual immorality and from strangled things and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has been proclaimed in all the synagogues on every Sabbath. Okay, so they they wrote this down. Well, here's the letter. I'll just read that. The, the entire assembly in Jerusalem agreed by consensus uh, along with their leaders. And here's what they wrote. The apostles and the elders and the brethren to those in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, brethren who are of the nations, greeting. So who is this letter addressed to?
1: Everybody?
2: Not quite when they say nations it would be mistranslated gentiles in the king james bible okay send greeting unto the brethren who are gentiles in antioch and syria and cilicia okay so they're writing to christians but to non-judean christians right it's really clear to when they say brethren of the nations because They don't view themselves as being of the nations. They are Judeans.
3: What's the matter with just taking the attitude that they were very confused by all of this and they had to fumble along and find their way rather than creating two classes of Christians and then a third class finally when the temple goes down?
2: Well, when the temple goes down, there's only one class left. Well, I mean, this is important because this is the root of all misunderstanding today. This is... This is part of the root of Christian Zionism is is misunderstanding all of this, so they weren't I mean yes okay are these are these leaders of Jerusalem confused? are they in error? are they making a mistake by doing this but let let me just finish the letter and then we'll jump back to to twenty one here where we're supposed to be. okay, greetings to you brethren of the nations, seeing. We have heard that some of us have gone up there and troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, Be circumcised and keep the law. We did not give them any such command. It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to send chosen men to you, along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have given up their souls in behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, they by word also announcing these same things. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, no more, to, no more burden to lay upon you except these necessary things, to abstain from things offered to idols and blood and strangled things and whoredom from which keeping yourselves you shall do well, be strong. Okay, so that's the letter. So in Acts 15, what did they decide about the non-Judean Christians keeping the law of Moses?
3: They left out. Thou shalt not kill thou was that maybe that's what they meant by blood, yeah, maybe that means maybe that means murder, the blood means murder uh, they, they all they they had a few little things about food and the the phylactics on their foreheads, but they they left out the other eight commandments. what about
2: uh, this none of this comes from the Ten Commandments,
3: so you're when you're talking about the law, you're not even talking about the Ten Commandments. you're talking about all the little practices of the elders.
2: Everything, all of it. Of everything, el- everything from Mount Sinai to the end of the Book of Malachi.
3: Well, um,
2: but but anyway, but I mean, again, we well, don't want to get well, off track.
3: What about the traditions of the elders? Isn't that the law? That's
2: a, that's not a no. That's not a biblical thing. The Pharisees held that the traditions of the elders were of equal import with Scripture, but. You know, they ne- that was never proven. The Sadducees disagreed with it, and several other groups disagreed with that interpretation. That their oral it. traditions. He he set them straight on a number of them, uh, probably not all of them. I don't know, but that's not. I don't want to get sidetracked into that discussion. I just want to point out that this this so decision,
3: circumcision is not a tradition of your elders.
2: No, it was part of the, it was a commandment of the law of Moses.
3: Okay, so do, so we have to go back to Deuteronomy and say that the Christians in the first century were supposed to be practicing the, 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 the stuff that's in the book of Deuteronomy, providing, of course, that they were Judeans, had a yes. Judean history, yes. and, and somehow were considered themselves related to the temple, but the, newly, uh, the new Christians didn't have to even know it was in Numbers in Deuteronomy and Leviticus.
2: Well Which, they, by the
3: way, is very confusing stuff.
2: They, yeah, it is. They wanted to, but they, they didn't have to keep it. Everything that was in this letter in uh, Acts 15 came from the commandments God gave to Noah when he got off the ark way back in Genesis, way before Abraham, way before Moses, way before Mount Sinai, way before the Law of Moses. Isn't the, that the Noahide Laws? exactly the, that this is
3: uh, what, Noahide laws are supposedly laws that today uh, Jews think Christians ought to keep but they don't have to
0: keep them
2: well yeah I mean again that's not germane to our discussion but that is that's my understanding that is uh yeah exactly but that's where that's where this letter came from from the book of Genesis from the commands God gave to Noah when he and his family got off the ark so this is not part of of the Law of Moses at all in any sense. Uh, The fact that some of it might compare or be similar, well, that's an academic question, but this does not come from the Law of Moses. This comes from way before the Law of Moses was ever given. So we have two different situations here, but, but again, we've read that they are all saved by faith in Jesus Christ. So the fact that this one family of Judean Christians continued to observe the law for a short time had nothing to do with their salvation. The fact that the other nation, Christians, did not have to observe it, they both were saved the same way. There was a specific reason that the Judean Christians continued to observe the law. Jesus commanded it for one thing. We read that right out of Matthew five. He had told that to all the Judean people early on, that they that they would continue to observe it until all things were fulfilled, when the temple was taken away from them, that you know, their obligation to keep the law ended. I mean, that was just over and that was it. So it was a very short thing there, you know, I mean, we're talking 15 years about the time of Acts 21 until the temple is going to be utterly and completely destroyed. So this is a critical point because we do it, we have all these churches today who are trying to pick and choose and observe part of the law of Moses that can be observed without the temple. Okay. And we have We have Orthodox Judaism, which is claiming to be observing parts of the law that can be observed without the temple. And these are both confused. They're not accurate. They're not based on the words of Christ who tells us clearly when all of these things were to be fulfilled. And it wasn't, you know, when Russia helps Iraq launch a nuclear war in fulfillment of the book of Revelation to have the battle of Armageddon that John Hagee is praying for, you know, that's not when Jesus said all things would be fulfilled. Uh, I mean, it's it's extremely simple in the Bible. It's extremely confusing if you ask any religious teacher in the English-speaking world, I can't vows for other languages and countries and we got a little taste of that at the end of our session last week because we ended in kind of a state of chaos and confusion <laughs>
1: uh,
2: and, and uh, which I didn't intend but anyway I've, I've taken a little extra time here uh, we're supposed to go well, ahead let, and let me
3: the, ask the yeah. last question that I want to ask and then I'll shut up somebody followed Jesus believed in him committed his life to, to following Jesus and absolutely ignored all these previous laws that he had been taught, except, of course, the Ten Commandments, which, of course, Jesus said there's only one greater, and that's love your brother as yourself, another commandment I give you. But he doesn't uh, circumcise his children. He doesn't uh, restrain from eating uh, shrimp, if that was what they didn't eat. And uh, he pulls his ox out of the well on Sunday, is he going to hell because he didn't follow the laws of uh, the elders, and the covenant of the uh, laws in Deuteronomy? Or, but he's a follower of Christ anyway. Uh, well, you're, t-
2: you're talking about someone of Judean nationality. His,
3: his, yeah, somebody yeah. who was one of these so. temple people you talked about, and he and he and he, he liked the disciples. Decided he would follow to death. He became a follower. Say it was James. What if James didn't keep the? didn't have a phylactic thing on his forehead and didn't follow any of these...
2: Well, just, uh, uh, I mean, all I can do is tell you what Jesus himself said, that this one shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's in it. I mean mean, not rated
3: it. Christian, Mark.
2: <laughs> he's, I, I, yeah, but these are not my words, okay? I'm, these are not my words. These are not my thoughts. I mean... John the Baptist, he said, you know, never has a man been greater among human beings than John the Immerser. Jesus said this. He said, but I tell you, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Okay, can you all remember when he said that? You see, so it doesn't seem to be saying that this person is going to be banished from God's presence for eternity. But I'm just saying that here in Acts 21, we see clearly Tens of thousands of Judean believers were still meticulously following the law. And Paul had no problem. And as we see when we go through these trials, we had to lay this groundwork. We had to take this extra session to lay this groundwork because they're going to accuse Paul at these trials of speaking against the temple and against the law of Moses. Those are going to be the charges against Paul. And Paul is going to boldly state in his defense, these charges against me, they cannot prove. So if if Paul was going around telling Judeans to quit circumcising their kids, don't you think his enemies could have produced one witness to prove that he was saying the law is over and done? That just
3: proves that Paul was a a smart, wily salesman, a good politician.
2: And a liar, yeah. (laughs) But I don't believe he was. And, And again, so here are all of these tens of thousands of Judeans sinning. Are James and Peter in error? Are they sinning? And now Paul, by not objecting and by doing what they've told him to do without objection, is he sinning? as he is carrying out, finishing up these Nazarite vows for these four Christians who have completed their Nazarite vows in the temple. That's the question. So we need to keep this in mind as we continue next time here at, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, in, in verse 27. okay? Because, again, these are the charges in verse 28. Men of Israel... Come and help us. These are his enemies from Asia. This is the man who spreads his teaching everywhere, indoctrinating everyone to the detriment of the people, the law, and this place, the temple. Not content with that, he has brought Greeks into the temple and desecrated this holy place. So you see, the the charges laid against Paul, for which he is arrested and kept in custody for years, are that he speaks against the people of Judea speaks against the law of Moses, and he speaks against the temple in Jerusalem. These, these are the charges that are laid against him. And the whole rest of Acts are going to be his defense against these charges right here in Acts 21, verse 28. So, again, I, I, don't, I didn't want to beat this to death. But we, we ended on a point of confusion. I just wanted to go back and read what happened at the Jerusalem conference, read what Jesus said about keeping the law until all was fulfilled, and then reading what he said about when all things would be fulfilled, which he clearly stated was when Jerusalem was surrounded by armies. So, anyway, I, that's any, any closing thoughts here from anyone? I do. Yes,
1: I think the issue seems to be a difference of culture orientation between the Judeans and the Gentiles, but it boils down to our faith in Christ and that we are actually one in the Spirit, and that's where it belongs, and that's what's most important.
2: Yeah, and they state, you know, they stated that they they have believed, they have they have received salvation by faith in Christ, just as we have. They were one that way. The problem, the one thing I forgot to mention, is that if you were circumcised and began following the law of Moses, guess what? It doesn't matter what country you were born in, what was your nationality after you were circumcised? Any guesses?
1: The one you You were were born in?
2: No, you were considered a Judean. Once you were circumcised and began following the law of Moses, remember William had pointed this out several broadcasts ago, that the masses that came out of Egypt were a bunch of different nationalities. God forged this mixed multitude, that's the exact words from Exodus, forged this mixed multitude into the nation of Israel. And the law of Moses explains how anyone can become an Israelite. And it was by being circumcised and then beginning to follow the law, most specifically the dietary restrictions. So it would be today like someone claiming to be a joint citizen, you know, of Israel and the United States. I mean, where do their loyalties really lie? You know, once you were circumcised and began following the law of Moses, you were an Israelite. And the Judeans in the first century, that was all that was left of the Israelite nation. So they were You know, the Judean nationality is the remnant of Israel. Once you became circumcised and began following the law of Moses, you, according to the law of Moses, you were one of them. And so if all of the nations did that, they would just all be Judeans, and the rest of the nations wouldn't be in the church. But the prophecies clearly stated that all nations, you know, would flow into it. And so so there is a logical reason as well why the Judeans would continue to circumcise and the non-Judeans would not continue to circumcise during this brief transition period until the temple was taken away.
0: Well, thank you, Mark. That was a very good background report, and we'll be able to forge on next week in chapter 21 starting in verse 27. Thanks for everybody's input. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch